whenever we do uh, dedicate any little baby, we try, if at all possible, to, to get a, a, a message around, something to even just to mention the name in it. Uh, you can't always work it exactly, but some names are easier than others because they're, some are biblical names. Annabeth was easy, but yet it comes from two words. Anna comes from grace, and Beth means house. So we just trust that this will be a house of grace for many this morning. A house of grace for many will come to saving faith. If you don't know the Lord, people will surrender to him this morning. Surrender their life to him, because Christ has died for them. Anna meaning house. We want to read about a woman called Anna in Luke chapter 2, please. And we want to entitle this, When Simeon and Anna Met Jesus. When Simeon and Anna met Jesus. Luke chapter 2. Seems a little lengthy if you're not used to reading the word of God of a reading, but it's only about 19 verses, which isn't a lot really. Luke chapter 2, beginning to read at verse 21, please. And when eight days were accomplished, they were circum- for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. When the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. To offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The same was a just man and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let us thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people. A light delight in the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. And she was of a great age and had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise to the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Israel for redemption in Jerusalem. And when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own city. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom. And the grace of God 
was upon him. Let's pray. Father, take your own word, we pray, and wing it to every heart. May the saved of God, may they rejoice at the goodness of God. If there's any unsaved from God, we pray you bring them to God through Christ. We ask you, Father, in Jesus' name, that the grace of God would be upon them, Lord, that they would have the ability to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. We thank you for your matchless sovereign grace. We thank you for your kindness and your goodness. Now, Father, we ask you, Lord, that you would take your own word and, Lord, speak and deal with every heart as you deem and see fit. For we ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Verse 21 says, And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Notice this, that eight days have passed. Jesus has been born eight days. But yet his name was not applied to the child until the eighth day. The name given him was a name that the father had. The father's name was applied to him. And of course, that name is Yahweh Jehovah, because he is Almighty God himself. But the baby, the child Jesus, is eight days old. The little um, human being is eight days old. As to his uh, eternal being, he is eternal. He is God. But as a baby, he's now eight days old. The angel came and says that uh, Mary would call him Jesus and to Joseph, and they bring him to the temple on the eighth day for a reason. So I want you to stay with me. Remember the number eight for a few moments. This little baby who's carried in his mother's arms is coming to fulfill the law. You see, God set his law among us that we would not be able to keep it even no matter how hard we tried and we would see the standard of holiness of God and then that law would shine in us as it were like a mirror reflect the image of who we are and when compared to the law of God that is even the Ten Commandment law we realize we fall far short of the glory of God. Romans 3 and 23 says for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The glory of God was known in the law of God because of whom God is, thou shalt not kill, and all those commandments that you learn about. And you may say, I don't kill. But yet Jesus brings it even further and says, if you've been angry with the wrong person at the wrong time, he says, you've already committed murder in your heart. You're guilty of it. Thou shalt not commit adultery. But Jesus says, if you look with a man, a man or another woman with lust, you've already committed adultery in your heart. It's classed according to the laws, adultery. And we see the impossibility then at times when it says, I shall not steal. Well, we might say we haven't stolen anything, but yet whenever we look at it, we may have taken time on a phone in our, in our place of work, which we never asked for, and it wasn't our place to do so. When we do things, we don't even realize that we break God's law all the time. We don't make graven images. We don't make idols. As the Lord says, thou shalt have no other God before me. Yet we, we call our football teams our gods. And we could cry like even as 
Jeroboam had cried to to the house of Israel when he built a a bull calf at Dan and set another one in a town called Bethel. And he stopped them going to true worship in, in Jerusalem. And he says unto Israel, These be thy gods, O Israel. Here's your God, and we have a God, and we also have a God of our own imagination. Now, God of our own imagination is that, is that, well, you know, I'm a good person. I don't think God is like this, and I don't think God is like that, or I don't believe God would do this. And we start to build a God of our own imagination. In other words, God becomes the created being, and you become the God, because he is the God whom you want him to be, who you believe him to be, and whom you think him to be, and not according to what the Bible says, whom he is. So we all make idols in one sense, shape, or form. We may not carve them out of wood or out of stone, but they may be the desires even of our own lives and even our own families and prestige becomes our God. See how we break it? See how you need a savior. That if you were to stand before Almighty God today, and you were unsaved, and you did not come to Christ for salvation, and you stood before him today, could you say you've never lost it in your heart, you've never stolen anything, even a phone call from your boss's landline, which he had paid for that you never asked for, that you could use? Could you say you've never hated or really despised someone in your heart and murdered them in your heart, then as Jesus said? Could you say you've never did that, done anything like that? Because I don't believe there's one of us in here that could say so. So if you were to stand before Almighty God today, how would you stand? Imagine standing before that great white throne judgment. God brings it all up in remembrance before him. And the books are open and another book was open, which is a book of life we're told in Revelation 20. And he's looking for your name. He's looking for your name in the book of life. And your name isn't in the book of life because you've never come to life that is in Christ. I see you're a murderer at heart. I see you're a a thief. I see you're adulterous in heart and mind. I see you had other gods before me and you lived worshipping other gods before me. How would you stand guilty or, or not guilty? You see, Christ came to keep the law that you and I couldn't keep. The law is our schoolmaster which points us to Christ. The law, uh, like written on a blackboard when I was at school, I don't know what they use today. Stephen or someone could tell me, but a whiteboard is it, Stephen? A whiteboard now. It was a blackboard in chalk when I was there. No, it wasn't the quill where you dip the ink in. The quill, it wasn't that bad. And the, the quill in the ink. But it was a blackboard, and as the teacher's writing it, and you're looking at it, you're... They're showing you step by step of how to learn. And such is the way that whenever we see, look, I am like this, I have done that. The Spirit of God speaks to you right now and says, but you have done that. And you're hiding it in your heart. And even as the old Puritan says, if the best man of us were to have his sins written upon his forehead, he would pull his hat down over his eyes. Sacred hearts. Secret desires, the secret lusts, 
if they were written upon our foreheads, it would cause us to pull our hats down over our eyes that no one would see. Yet we could see how we would hide it from a spouse. We could see how we would hide it from a friend. You can hide it from your fellow uh, churchgoers or your fellow workmates. You can hide it from the pastor. But you can never hide it from him. See how you need Christ? Can you see how you need a saviour? Here he came to keep the law to the very jot and tittle. He came to keep the law to the stroking of the T and the dotting of the I. The law you couldn't keep and I couldn't keep to help us in all of our failures. And all the sinning that we've been doing in mind, word, thought and deed and action throughout all our lives, the things we remember, the things we don't remember, Christ came that he would keep the law we couldn't keep and live a life we couldn't live and he would die on the cross for us. And shed his most precious blood that we would be forgiven of our sins and washed in that blood by faith. That we would stand before God and not the great white throne judgment. We would stand before him and worship him as our Lord, our God and our Savior. So he comes into the law on the eighth day because the law demanded it. There was a covenant in it. There was a covenant in it. And in Genesis 17, Abraham had a covenant with God of the circumcision of the foreskin of the flesh. And that circumcision marked Abraham's descendants, the Hebrews then Israelite. And it marked them out for why? That that was a mark of God upon them. That was a mark of God upon that lineage and line of people. The circumcision of the flesh It showed that they were gods and they were doing this because they had faith in him. Because they had faith. God says, Abraham, you circumcise your child on the eighth day. It goes into the law of Moses down the line. Then it comes into Israel right through there to keep this and they kept the circumcision of the flesh. Jesus comes into the temple on the eighth day. Number eight is quite important. It's quite important. And listen, it takes obedience to please God. Listen to Puritan John Trapp. It is true obedience, whether to God or man. Look not so much at the letter of the law, but as to the mind of the lawmaker. And people look at that Christianity as in the real Christianity I'm talking about. I'm talking about people who are truly saved. And they find that their lives are maybe, are they too rigid? How could I live like that? How could I keep that? How could I do that? And the answer is you can't. You're kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. It's by grace that you're saved through faith. And you'll fail and you'll fall. And that person that you look at who's a Christian, who's honestly, truly trying their best to walk before God, but just seem to fail in your eyes, they're only human. And you don't look to them for your salvation. You don't look to this one or the other one and their failures and their faults and their ups and their downs. You look on the Christ who is the author of our salvation and the finisher, the perfecter of it. Keep this covenant, Abraham, and it'll mark you out for my children. Mark you out as one of mine. You see, obedience Abraham showed, showed his faith. And children of God... Church, your obedience to the word of God shows your faith in Christ. 
even if you don't like it, even if you think you know us, uh, this is hard, Lord. Your obedience to the word of God shows your faith in Christ. God's mind, we look to the mind of God. What is the bigger picture? We look to the mind of God as what God can do, but whom he is in himself. Sometimes we think, you know, well, if I try it this way, or I try it that way, or I do this thing, or I do the other thing, and I'm not a bad person, I'm a good parent, or I'm whatever, and we think, well, you know, God will accept me on this basis, but really we need to look to the mind of God that is written in the Word. If you want to know God's mind, lift that book and read it. If you want to know God's mind for eternity, lift that book and read it. If you want to know God's mind for your soul's salvation, lift this book and read it. If you want to know how you get saved, what God thinks about it, lift this book and read it. doesn't matter if it's my mind or someone else's mind. If it's not God's mind according to God's word, then it's futile and it's vanity, it's empty, it's fruitless and it comes to nothing. But if you want to know God, lift this book and read it. Read it. Someone came to our online ministry recently and sent me a letter, or a, not a letter, an email. Of, I'm dinosaur time myself. They typed me an email and it says, I believe we're all one spirit and we're never apart from God. I says, do you know Christ? I believe we're all one spirit and we're never apart from God. They kept saying it over and over to me, back and forward. I says, do you know Christ? Have you read the word of God? It's only written by men. See, people think, well, you know, I'm sure Granny Aggie's up there smiling down at you. And that's something to tell you. Granny Aggie isn't up there smiling down at you. Bible doesn't teach that. And if Granny Aggie saved, Granny Aggie will be with the Lord, which is far better. Yes. But I can tell you there's no one in heaven, your loved ones nor mine, who are looking down and smiling. There are no tears in heaven. There's no sorrow in heaven. And I'm sure to look down at some of their loved ones, they would be in tears. That's all fanciful fairy tales, friend. This book in them is the mind of God. Christ is the revealed mind and will of God. He's the logos. That's the word that's made flesh. The logos is the will, the mind of God. God himself pushing, putting, uh, putting forth himself in a body of flesh. The son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you want to know how to get to heaven, then you must read this Bible. John 14 and verse 6. Listen to what Jesus said. Not a preacher from a pulpit. But Jesus said, he says, I am the way, not a way to heaven. I am the way. I am the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So this woman emails me and says, Ah, we're all one spirit. We're never apart from that spirit and so on and so on and so on. 
I says, how do you know? I just feel it. Friend, you know, you can't just feel it. You must receive it. What does the Bible say about you? It says you have come short of the glory of God. What does the Bible say about me? It says I've come short of the glory of God. What does the Bible say about you and I and our eternal well-being? It says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that's you this morning. That's the good news of it. That if you trust in Christ and put your all in him, you're invested all in Christ for your soul's salvation, you'll be saved in your seat today. God's mind is to save you. Your mind may be otherwise. Did you hear me? Did you hear what I said? God's mind is to save you. Your mind may be otherwise. Some men can't see God's hand in the past, nor even through their present at this day. Nevertheless, into the future. So circumcision, when Christ is brought in on the eighth day, Circumcision was that after seven days, after the birth, the eighth day, they were brought to the temple to be circumcised. And so the Lord Jesus is brought in as a baby to his, by Joseph and his mother, Mary. Now look at what Romans chapter 2 and verse 28 tells us. Romans chapter 2 and verse 28. Now since circumcision was a covenant of blood showing the circumcised being an obedient believer in God and a follower of the same. Circumcision marked God's people out as his own. In the New Testament, after Christ had died and was buried and had rose again on the third day and has now ascended into heaven and seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 says, For he that is a Jew which is one outwardly, he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision of which is one is outward in the flesh. Verse 29. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit. And not the letter whose praise is not of men, but of God. Let me put it into modern terms to your life and mine. I'm not going to get too doctrinal on this. Let's put it into something simple. Paul is saying, listen, you can go to your temple and you can go to your church and you can do all the outward things and think something else in your heart. Well, I'm a good person. Here, this is my lineage. This is my line. I'm a Judite. I'm a Jew or whatever way they're thinking. So you can go to your church and you can do all the things you do and you can maybe go every... Uh, every Easter time or Christmas time or all these sort of times come up and you can do all of that. The circumcision wasn't of the flesh but now of the heart, the spirit. In other words, if you want to be marked as mine, it's your heart. You see, where your heart, when your heart is circumcised by the spirit, see what your desires of the heart is, that's where you'll follow See the desires of your heart, that's where you will follow. 
your desires of your heart. I want to go out and I want to go out into this world and I want to find my fortune. That's where your heart will follow. You'll build treasures upon the earth. I want to go into this world and I want to go out clubbing every night. That's where your heart will follow. That's where it will take you. I want to go and sit in the pub and I want to go and do this. And listen, I did all that. That's where your heart follows. See, that's where your treasure is. There your heart will be also. And so here we're told in this, that the circumcised heart, that is the heart that's been touched by the Spirit and received Christ for salvation, he changes our desires and our heart follows after Christ. It's not in your church. It's not in the size of the church. It's not in the building of the church. It's not in the ritual of the church, the ceremony of the church. Church doesn't save you. This church can't save you. No church saves. A person saves. He's called the Lord Jesus Christ. In Christ and Christ alone we find salvation. And in none other, and there's no other way, and in nothing else but Christ and his finished work in Calvary. In other words, he died for you. He shed his blood for you. That you would be saved. So he comes in the eighth day to be circumcised. Here's a little couple of minutes on the number eight. The number eight gives the idea of new beginnings. That's strange, is it? It's God's eternal plan that he brings the child Jesus has him brought in to be uh, to, the, to the temple on the eighth day to follow after the custom of the law. He's fulfilling the law. The eighth day means new beginnings. That This new one will bring new beginnings to many. For example, in number eight through scripture, we're told in the book of Genesis that eight souls were saved from the flood. Noah builds the ark, eight get in. Noah has three sons and their wives. And eight souls were saved. And when the ark came to rest, which, what, what was it? It was a, a new beginning. Eight souls were saved. It was a new beginning. We're also told in Luke chapter 9 and verse 28 that the Lord Jesus asked the question, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And he speaks of himself dying on the cross of Calvary. But notice what it says. It says about eight days, in verse 28, about eight days after these sayings, eight days after him speaking on Calvary, eight days after him saying, I'm going to die for you, eight days he brings Peter, James, and John and went up into a mountain and we're told that he was transfigured before them. In other words, the, the deity shone out of his humanity. And the very face went as though it were brighter than the noonday sun. And his garments were, were glistening whiter than fuller soap could wash them. And he's standing there with all of his glory, with Moses and Elijah coming to, to speak unto him. And this glorious vision at this time is shown to Peter, James, and John. It was the eighth day. What did it show? Here he speaks of Calvary. And here he speaks of his glorification when he rises from the dead. And he's victorious over sin, the grave, and death, hell, and the devil for you. Eight days, a new beginning. You know you can be victorious in Christ if you come to him. When the Lord was raised from the dead, he showed himself alive to his disciples. And Thomas wasn't there. Remember the story, some of you? Thomas says, I won't believe. That's what you call him, doubting Thomas. I won't believe unless I stick my finger in the 
Prince of the Nails and put my hand into where the spear went into his side. He says, I won't believe unless I do that myself. We're told eight days later, they're in a room and Jesus walks in and appears to them. Thomas, this is a new beginning for you, son. Put your hands in. Handle me and see for a spirit of not flesh and bone as you see me of. The resurrected Christ. The word eight here is a word octo where we get octagon, octopus, octave. So he's brought in and there's a new beginning happening. There's two people, just a couple of minutes on each and I'm finished. First of all, he meets a man called Simeon. Simeon. Listen to what it says about Simeon. Luke chapter 2 verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. He was just and devout. The word here for just is the word dekeos, and it means he observed the law of God the best he humanly could. I catch that. Here's a man who's always in the temple, and he searched the law, he obeyed the law, and he obeyed the law of God as best as he humanly could. That's what it means. In other words, he was just and he was good, but he just wasn't completely righteous. Couldn't be. That's what it means. So the Lord knows this man's in the temple and he brings Jesus along and the Holy Ghost brings this man to the temple at the exact same moment, at the exact same time, in the exact same hour, at the exact same day that Christ would come. Why? Because the Holy Ghost told him, Simeon, you're a good man and you're just and you're doing your best, but you're not ready to die until you've seen my salvation. Lord, what do you mean? This man was devout, we're told. He was devout. The word devout here gives the idea of to have a realization of God's, of God's presence and of God's claims on him. In other words, he was God-fearing, we would say. You know, he believed in God and he knew God was there and he'd done his best, but he just wasn't ready yet. Then I have something to tell you. Are you ready? You're not ready to die until you see the Lord's Christ. And if you die without seeing the Lord's Christ, you will not be in Christ's heavenly kingdom. Simeon, you're a good man. You keep it the best you can. But you're not good enough. You're not ready to die. He waited for the consolation of Israel. It means knowing this, he looked with a view and he waited for some help from on high. See the word consolation here, by the way, just for those who, who are maybe Bible students, it's the word parakletos, and you'll recognize that word right away. It's the same word for the Holy Ghost in the New Testament. He waited for the Holy Ghost. 
The idea is, but he waited for Messiah to come. Oh, great is the mystery of this oneness of God. Great is the mystery of him. He waited for the Holy Spirit. Or he waited for Messiah, the Christ, to come. So it was revealed to him that he would not see death until he would see the Lord's Christ. And look at what it says here. Do I just run down for time's sake? Look at verse 27. And he came with the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him as a custom of the law, then he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let us thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. What was he looking at? What was he looking at? What was Simeon looking at in that temple? He was looking at the child Jesus. He was looking at the Christ. He was looking at the consolation of Israel. He says, now, Lord, you can let me, and I will die, and I'll die in peace, because I've seen your salvation. And friend, if you haven't seen the Christ of God, you haven't seen salvation. No matter how good you are, no matter how great you are, no matter how pleasant you are, no matter how much you've tried, if you haven't received Christ, you're lost and in your sin. Oh, that I could jump from this pulpit to shake the dead to life. Oh, that I could jump from this pulpit to shake the dead to life. To warn them of the judgment to come. And wake up because he loves you. But I can't. You must have the paracletus. Consolation to come. Waking you up and say, here is the Christ. Here is Jesus. Accept him or reject him. Here is Christ. There's a woman there called Anna. She's a prophetess. Briefly a few minutes. All I have to say that about this child's name. Anna's a prophetess. Notice how much God knew about her. She was a daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age. She was married for seven years. We were able to say that she was a widow now for 84 years. Was in the temple. She served God. And she was always in a state or a place or a condition where she fasted and prayed to seek for the face of God, waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem or for God's redemption price was to buy something back. When you redeem something, you buy it back. Where God would come and Christ would shed his blood to pay our debt to redeem us from the curse of the law. She prophesied. And Anna, as I said, means grace. She's the daughter of Phanuel. You know what Phanuel means? In the face of God. The face of God. Phanuel actually, um, going into the Old Testament, was actually the word Peniel or Peniel. And that's where old Jacob rested his head on the stone after seeing the ladder. 
get up and down. And that's where he rested in that area where he uh, wrestled with the angel of the Lord, remember? And he says, surely I've seen the face of God. And he called it Peniel. Here is the exact same word her father was called this name. On its Phanuel in the New Testament. She's from the tribe of Asher, the northern kingdom of Israel, carried away captive. And, uh, and there's a whole prophetic skill there. We can't do that today. Uh, and, and she was one of the escapees. The Bible tells us uh, that some of the, the tribe of Asher was, were escapees along with some of Manasseh and other tribes. And they were invited to come to Jerusalem. So her family must have settled in Jerusalem after the captivity. But Asher, the tribe... They didn't do as God said. They didn't obey the word of the Lord. And when they got their place, when their tribe uh, went into the land to take over the land, they didn't cast out the Canaanites. So they were thought of, well, you know what? They're a bad lot. They're a bad lot. In other words, they weren't very noteworthy. But now Christ comes into a temple at the same hour, the same moment, the same time, the same day. And when she meets with Christ, she becomes noteworthy. The tribe is noteworthy because after the carrying away of the ten tribes, there's none of them mentioned again. None of them after the captivity. Only Judah, Levi, Benjamin are mentioned. And of course the whole name Israel. But none of them are mentioned. And this little unworthy tribe who's being cast as it were aside, now years down the line is shown grace. And you have seen that grace of God when she reaches that temple and meets Christ. And now we're reading about her today. Do you know Asher, strange enough? Do you know Asher was the eighth son of Jacob? Asher was the eighth son of Jacob. Here's something for you. Anna from this tribe, who weren't very noteworthy, and the rest of the vast majority of her tribe are carried away. And it's the only time we read of this. She's in a temple. She meets Christ. And the tribe she comes from is from the eighth of Jacob. And she gets a new beginning. Even in old age, you can get a new beginning. Even in old age, you can get a new beginning. you come to Christ, the Bible tells us that when a man and woman surrenders themselves to him, now therefore, if any man or any woman be in Christ, they are a new creature. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. This could be your number eight today. Christ rose on the eighth day, the day after the Sabbath. The first day of the week for us. A new beginning. God bless you this morning. God bless you. Gary, would you and the team come up and close for us, please? I know God is speaking to someone this morning. And you turn your eyes up like this. Here you go. Another gospel message. But God is speaking this morning.
you're not saved, come and see us. Come and talk to one of us. We'll not bite you, I promise you.